Welcome to this edition of Toby Haddock's Who's Round, which was actually recorded 40 years ago, but uh, we didn't manage to complete it. But fortunately, the animators have been busy and we've just managed to recreate the missing bits. But you'll never be able to tell, because it's audio. corner of the CAA, oft visited for Who's Round. This is a slightly different one. We're not going to talk much about Doctor Who because we just have uh, for something else. Uh, and I've kindly been allowed to do this as a sort of sideline, so I'm going to ask my victim to tell me who he is and why I'm talking to him about Doctor Who and other things. Hello, I'm Christopher Neem and uh, I'm very happy to be here. Uh, I live in California, but I'm here briefly to, uh, to finish... Uh, uh, the two episodes of uh, Sharda from Doctor Who that uh, we weren't able to finish in 1979 because of an industrial strike. Uh, we went into the studio the other day and uh, it's now part of history. And, I mean, how extraordinary is that when you got the call from Charles... We'll name-check Charles Norton because he works like a dog to bring these things to fruition. He's the producer of the BBC reconstruction of Sharda, which is coming out on DVD, um, on which I have interviewed Christopher about Doctor Who, which is why we're not going to talk an awful lot about Doctor Who for this, because we're, we're basically advertising that. And he's got many other things to talk about. But I'm just very interested in what your reaction is when you get a phone call out of the blue saying, yeah, can you come back and play that part you didn't finish playing 40 years ago? Well, it was great. I mean, Charles called me and um, I thought, what a wonderful opportunity to come back to dear London town and uh, and do this. Uh, because um, Doctor Who is dear to my heart. Um, a lot of wonderful actors are in it and um, certainly Lala Ward who was at Central School of Speech and Drama with me in my year who I am very fond of and uh, it was just a delight to see her the other day and uh, no I leapt at the chance and uh, and Charles and I have been emailing for the last couple of months you know getting it all sort of Sorted out and uh, and and te- teed up and uh, and here I am and uh, very very happy to be here. Is playing the villain the best thing to do? Oh, most certainly. Not that you ever win, of course, but um, winning isn't everything. Don't tell Donald Trump that. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, no, I mean, I played so many villains, so many. I remember in New, in in uh, Mexico City, I was uh, playing uh, the villain opposite Timothy Dalton in uh, in uh, License to Kill, and uh, unfortunately, I was dispatched rather rather early on. Mind you, it gave me a lot of uh, downtime to discover Mexico City. Um, uh, but uh, I've played so many villains and uh, I always ha- have a good time and uh, you can always tweak it a bit, you know, tweak tweak it away, not away from the writing, but tweak the writing a bit uh, in your performance, which I always enjoy doing. I love to push the envelope. I love to push, push the envelope in my, in my life, period. Um, so this has been a great opportunity to do it in one's career. 
Um, and uh, no, I, it's been a it's been a real treat for me to play the villain. Well, as I say, we talk about uh, uh, Doctor Who in more detail on the DVD. But what about you, Christopher? What what was your background, and and was acting always going to be the path that you trod? What inspired you? Well, my father uh, was a. Uh, uh, he had his own firm at Lloyd's Insurance, and um, I do remember when I was when I was very young, I was always in the theatre at school, and they had to grab me by the scruff of my neck and put me down in front of my uh, desk to try to become a bit more academic. I, I failed miserably at acad- academia, and uh, and I, I got pathetic sort of O levels. It never. But I don't think I even got one A level because that wasn't what I was interested in. You know, I kind of knew in my in in the my frontal cortex that I was uh, that I wanted to be an actor. But you know, I had no idea how to go about it. Absolutely no. I didn't. How did you at 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 fourteen, fifteen, sixteen years old know how to become an actor? I mean, it was just like you know walking on on the moon. Um, so I tried all sorts of things and nothing worked. I remember I was fired from my father's business because I was too busy down in the basement playing cowboys and Indians, you know, with my friends, and I was meant to be filing. Um, so I was fired after six months. And uh, anyway, long story short, I, my sister, who was working in London, at the, at, uh, she was a private secretary in MI6, and um, she was, she lived in London. She asked me to a party one night. And I was sort of whinging on to some rather attractive lady um, about my, you know, my passion for acting. How I so wanted to be an actor. I have no idea how to go about it. And anyway, she said, oh, you should meet Maxine Audley, who in those days was a huge, very successful uh, West End star, theatre star. And um, and rather partial to the young men, let me say, um, and, and which I fitted the category rather well. Um, uh, she, I went to see her. I went to see Maxine. This lady set me up with Maxine. I went to see Maxine. She was very kind, and uh, said, "Oh, you've got to meet Frank Hauser, who is a great friend of mine, uh, the artistic director of the Oxford Playhouse." And um, I did all this by myself, but no help from the family, because my family didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to help me, so they were quite uh, out of the picture. And uh, I met Frank Hauser, and I auditioned for Frank. God knows what I did. I had no idea what auditioning was, but I sort of said something, and I looked right, apparently, and I obviously had a bit of talent. Frank uh, offered me a, a, a... a job as a student assistant stage manager, which was the lowest of the low. I mean, you could not get any lower in theatre than that. Uh, and uh, at three pounds a week. And um, so I, I, I went back to my parents and I said, look, mum and dad, I'm an actor. And they were thrilled, absolutely. Well, my dad, let me, let me be absolutely precise. My dad was absolutely thrilled because he didn't know what to do. He didn't know how to help me. Uh, he'd always changed the conversation, you know, before I'd actually gone out and done it myself because he didn't know how to help me at all, bless him. 
but I went back. He was utterly thrilled and came to see all these shows that I did all around England. My mother was a little bit uh, apprehensive, um, but my dad was thrilled. So I went off to Oxford and um, I did my season with them. Just had a great time working with fantastic actors and uh, I was doing small roles and all the rest of the uh, stage management stuff. And I managed to survive on, on three pounds a week. My dad gave me eight pounds, you know, just to help me through. So, so I had about 11 pounds living on 11 pounds. And in those days you could do it. And uh, then I went to do Great Yarmouth and, uh, and did a summer season there, which almost killed me, it was such hard work. And I went to Central School, I auditioned, I remember Nigel Terry, who was with me at Oxford, sweet, sweet man. A lovely actor who I just admired so much. I think he's still with us, Nigel. No, he sadly died a couple of years ago. Nigel did? Mm. Nigel did. Oh, that's very sad. Oh, dear. I'm very fond of him. Anyway, Nigel said, oh, you know, Central School is a great school. I only had enough money to um, to uh, to pay for one drama school um, entrance, um, audition. So I, I auditioned for Central and um, got in. And so I went there, three years, terrific. And uh, that's where I met Lala. And, um, and then I got a terrific agent, Michael Whitehall. Oh. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and the rest is history. Michael got me, you know, he just got me on the launch pad. And uh, so that's where, that's how cold it started. And, uh, and, uh, and you know, uh, I was, I was, uh, uh, that was my tra trajectory, if you will. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was a, I was a working, I was a genuine working actor. You know that Michael's son, Jack, is now a very accomplished and famous comedian. That's right, yes. Yes, I hear that, yes. <laughs> yeah. um, so, so, yes, so you started working in, in, in television. Did you have a... A, a, a preference uh, for, for, for television or theatre or was the mix enough to keep variety keeping it the spice of life? Uh, I must admit uh, theatre for me was a kind of masochistic uh, pursuit. I was always fairly terrified I must say. I must admit I was always fairly terrified of theatre. Um, it was such a risk to be out there, you know, in front of an audience. Um, but I tried to keep my terror um, harnessed. <clears throat> but it was, it was, it was, um, it was tough for me. Um, I enjoyed it when it was when it was when it was going well. It was just uh, an experience like none other. Um, but um, th television was less terrifying because it was uh, you could do it again, you know, if you if you messed it up. Um, um, but uh, it was I always, I had my demons. I must I must be completely honest. I had my demons during my career of uh, doubting myself, of. Uh, of thinking, well, maybe I could have done it better. And I think every actor goes through this to a greater or lesser degree. You know, I don't think I'm alone there. Um, I'm being 
hugely honest about this. Um, uh, I, 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 uh, I, 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 I don't know. I, I just sitting here with you now, Toby. I, I just think back on my time as an actor, and I think, wow. I'm so glad I did that. I wouldn't have changed it for the world. But there was a lot of um, Sturm and Drang in, 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 in my process because I'm, I'm hypercritical of myself and, uh, and uh, I, I challenged myself a lot uh, as to whether I could really, really nail it, you know. Maybe that was a good thing because I, I, I really tried... I'm a perfectionist when it comes to my work. I want it to be the very, very best. And um, in answer to you, that was a long uh, answer to your question. Um, I don't know. I didn't have a preference. No, I didn't have a preference. I, I, theatre and television and film were equally challenging in their own, in their own ways. Um, I was very glad to be working, very glad to be able to be out there and... Um, and, and, and just doing it because um, it's such an extraordinary process for any human being to go through that. And uh, I feel very blessed that I was, um, that, 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 that it had been my life, that it was my life, you know. But I'm very interested in that because, you, you know, I, I totally understand and identify with the, you know, I, I think most, most actors are never as, do, never do as well as they want to do. So I, I think the psychology of that is interesting because even when you were, you were a hugely successful actor, always working, um, and yet that, that um, lack, of, lack of security and self-assurance n- never, quite, never quite goes. Well, I think... Amateur psychology here, but I think that lack of security makes one a good actor in a way i think it's i think it's death uh when you become too secure as an actor because then you can you can you can become uh repetitive and like anything in life i think if you're cons- if you keep yourself on the edge it may be uncomfortable but at least you know you're alive and your performance is alive. Do you know what I mean? And, um, and also something I, 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 I do remember, I saw, we have a wonderful um, chat show host, uh, Charlie Rose uh, in, in, uh, in America, who, who is an extraordinary interviewer. I, th- I think Michael Parkinson's probably um, his, 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 um, his equal here. Um, and Alan Rickman was being interviewed by him uh, the other day. And uh, Alan Rickman, I never forget, I will never, never forget this, I think. And Alan Rickman said, he was being asked about an actor's process. And Alan Rickman said, when you lose sight of the child as an actor, you do this at your peril. And I think that was so succinct and so right on that you have to keep the childlike quality in in your performance. And the child, by its very nature, is always searching, is always curious, is always 
kind of on the edge. You never know what a child is going to do. I think that's what makes an actor very charismatic. Um, uh, and a certain amount of madness too, I think, <laughs> you know, as uh, uh, is always attractive in an actor. And uh, um, I remember in, in Hollywood, I was doing some acting classes with someone and uh, and a very good coach, wonderful coach, and she, uh, she would go through each person who was in the class, and um, and she'd describe them. And she came to me and she said, "Ah, yes. Well, there's uh, Christopher Neem, um, slightly mad." <laughs> and I said, "Barbara, that is the greatest compliment you could have given me. Why, oh why, would I want to be sane in this profession?" You know, and uh, and I think a certain amount of madness that you can inject into your characters is always, always essential. Not that I overtly went about injecting madness, but I think subconsciously you need to inject a certain amount of madness. Keeps it alive, keeps it on the boil, you know, keeps it watchable. Well, and I wondered, because what you said about the theatre and you being terrified, is anything to do with that? One of your first major roles was playing a woman, was playing Phoebe in, a, in, a, in, a, in an all-male-as-you-like-it. Yes, yes. <laughs> it was great, actually, Toby. It was really wonderful to do that because um, by nature, I am, I am, uh, I, I'm not a gay man uh, and God knows I'd be the last person in this universe to be... Uh, in any way against uh, gay people. I love gay people. I think it's as essential as part of our, 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 our humanity <clears throat> uh, to, you know, um, gay, gayness, if you will, is, 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 is essential. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I love it when people just express themselves as they are, how they wish to be. You know, I have no prejudice whatsoever. I'd be the last person, as I said, to have any prejudice. But um, I, I am a straight man, and uh, I just love women. I prefer women. Um, uh, you know, uh, that's my preference. Um, and I was cast... I was very pretty in those days, admittedly. Uh, I was cast um, by Clifford Williams, who directed the original production of The National, uh, to play Phoebe in a tour of the United States in 1974, the year that uh, Nixon was impeached. I remember sitting on, uh, in a cafe in, on Sunset Boulevard watching... Nixon's re resignation. Well, it wasn't the year he was impeached. I beg your pardon. I think he was impeached in 72 and he resigned in 74. I remember him waving, you know, famous wave, you know, by the helicopter uh, uh, on Sunset Boulevard. I was there playing at the Greek Theatre and uh, we'd just played the Geary Theatre in San Francisco. And um, I was just embracing it. I just played. We were in full drag, you know, and uh, but we used our. It was Laurence Olivier's idea. Why don't we? Why don't we do it all male? But use the male vo voices, you know, in drag, but male voices. I, I didn't. I must be completely honest. With all due respect, with Sir Laurence, I didn't quite understand why. Why we did it like that? But I was. <laughs> I was only too happy to 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 be part of it. Um, and uh, we played all over the United States, and I was, uh, I was, uh, I think I was really rather good. And uh, I remember the Greek theatre in, in Los Angeles is is an extraordinary 
venue we just uh, we came in after uh, um, Neil Diamond's famous famous concert uh, uh, hot hot August nights this beautiful outdoor theater in in Los Angeles and uh, I I just I just love being a woman for six months what can I say <laughs> I, I I just I just thought it was uh, it kind of an integral part of my um my growing up process as a man. I know that sounds a bit of an oxymoron, but um, I, I just loved it. I just loved to get into the female psyche, you know, and, um, and just, uh, just be in, 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 in women's clothes and uh, just behave like a woman. I do, I do remember at San Francisco, when we first landed, uh, my first, uh, first time in America, um, I couldn't get over the the huge amount of food that the Americans eat, for the most part. And we went to uh, uh, have breakfast every morning, and um, you know, all this massive amount of food. And I just went nuts because I, was, you know, I was incredibly, I was very young, and uh, I thought, well, you know, I can handle this. And um, I remember going to the uh, theater after about a couple of days, and uh, and uh, I, I couldn't get into my dress. I was. <laughs> They had to, they had to let my dress out, and so I, you know, I had to, uh, I had to stop those uh, massive, massive American breakfasts. But uh, I loved it. I just adored it, and it was a great introduction to, to, to America. And uh, we ended up on Broadway, and um, unfortunately, uh, uh, um, who was the uh, theater critic for the Times? I can't remember. Um, at the time, he'd seen it in London, loved it in London, and then, because we'd been on the road for six months, you know, all our parts had kind of stretched, and we'd kind of gone kind of away, if you will, from 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 the original concept of the characters uh, slightly, and um, he didn't enjoy it, and he really sort of uh, gave us a bad review, and... Um, Clive James, not not Clive James, not Clive James. I can't remember. Clive Barnes, Clive Barnes. Clive Barnes yeah. He was the uh, he was the uh, theatre critic for the Times, and so he absolutely um, kiboshed the whole thing. And um, we were there for a week. We were going to be there for six months, but we were there for a week, and we just went nuts. Of course, you know, we never slept. You know, we were out all 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 night, sort of um, going to bars and this and that, and whatever. And we we had a great time and. Uh, as with all theatrical catastrophes, people can't wait to get in. So the whole place was 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 sold out, and um, uh, throughout the whole of the week, it was great. It was a great, wonderful time. And uh, well, to of Shakespeare. I mean, it's not the only Shakespeare. You were in um, Anthony Quayle's King Lear. That's right. That's right. I played Edmund, opposite. Uh, uh, God, Jimmy Aubrey, my dear, dear Jimmy Aubrey, who's no longer with us. He and I, oh gosh, we had such fun. And uh, yes, it was lovely. We we did this big fight scene at the end when in 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 old English woad woad was a was a when when um, in those days when people went into battle they wore this. Um, this paint, it was a sort of blue paint, and uh, of course we were 
you know, we, we, we wore jock straps to do this big uh, fight at the end of the uh, end of the show, and uh, we were painted in blue. And Jimmy and I would uh, James Aubrey. I, I, I remember he absolutely shied away from any kind of exercise. So and he liked his he liked his booze. That's for sure. And so he had a bit of a tummy, Jimmy. So he thought, uh, what I'll do is I'll shade my stomach, you know, with a sort of with makeup to to, to try to try to try try and make it go away. So he came off with this sort of brown stomach. It was really rather weird. And um but uh he was he was terrific. He was great as 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 Edgar. And uh and uh I really got some stunning reviews for, for Edmund which was which was which was lovely and I I have um I have a book by a, an eminent um, Shakespeare scholar in my library at home. And, and uh, he says, uh, dear Christopher, thank you for a great Edmund. Ah, it's lovely, it's so dear. It's, I treasure that, you know, and uh, not that in any way I thought my Edmund was great, but I mean, uh, it was lovely that someone was so complimentary and, um, and, and that he was recognized. I, I worked hard on that and uh, <laughs> It's a lovely role. It's a it's a very good role, and um, Anthony Quayle. We toured with it, and uh, Mel Martin was in it, and Isla Blair, and uh, and uh, Alec Guinness's son was was playing the, the fool. fool. Yes, and uh, yes, that was terrific. Yeah. And any any other favourite theatre roles? Well, I played with Kate O'Mara in. Um, in the Regent's Park, in the days before they had mics, you know, we were no mics then. We would just just had to project the whole thing. We did nine performances a week. I was Petruchio, Taming the Shrew, and Theseus and Oberon in uh, in Midsummer Night's Dream, and with Kate as my leading lady, and uh, she was an absolute darling, terrific lady of the theatre. Although she did a lot of TV, she was a wonderful, wonderful theatre actress, in my opinion. And um, uh, yes, that was uh, Rita's Park. Great. Oh, Very so. glamorous, Kate Amara. They don't. I don't think that they don't make them like that anymore, do they? She was extraordinary. She was kind of on a par, in my opinion, to uh, to um, Elizabeth Taylor. She had the same kind of eyes. They were vivid, vivid, violet eyes, Irish, dark hair. She was like a like an animal, really. She was so gorgeous, and uh, she and I were great friends. And um, I went to her memorial uh, the other day at uh, the Actors Church here in uh, Covent Garden. Yeah, very sad loss. Very, very, very sad loss. Uh, Trevor Nunn. Was there? I met Trevor Nunn at uh, at her memorial, and um, sadly, she never worked for the Royal Shakespeare Company, which was certainly their loss. Um, she 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 was an extraordinary woman, very very courageous, very 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 splendid woman. I, 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 she was one of the joys of my life. Well, talking of women in your life, you were, you worked with Joan Kemp Welsh a lot, and she directed you as um, uh, Romeo. Oh on yes, Toby. Yes, yes. That was a that was an extraordinary experience. I played Romeo three times. Um, 
I played Romeo three times. First time was with um, Nairi Dawn Porter. No, I tell a lie. I'm sorry. That was uh, I played Petruchio first with um, Nairi Dawn Porter down in Worthing, and then I played Romeo there with I cannot remember, and I I'm, I'm, I feel terribly sorry for the actress that I. I, 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 I totally forget, uh, not that she wasn't brilliant, but uh, I, I just, I, my mind slipped. Um, that was the first time, and then with Joan, and then uh, for television, for Thames Television, and uh, with uh, uh, Anne Hassan, I played, mm. she was my, she was my Juliet, and then I played it, uh, I was at home in North London, drinking a nice cup of coffee on a Sunday morning with a croissant and um, reading the Sunday Times and I see this article, actor gets stabbed in the eye and I thought, oh my God, in a production of Romeo and Juliet. It was at the Shaw Theatre, so knowing the lines, <laughs> knowing the lines really rather well, I call Michael Croft, who was the artistic director at the time, and uh, I said, Michael, uh, can I offer my services as Romeo? And he said, come on down, old boy. And uh, he gave me, I remember, come on down, we'd love you to be, play Romeo. I, I preface this by saying Brian Sterner, who was Romeo in the original production, uh, is fine. Uh, he is. He was not blinded by the sword. In the, uh, he, the something went wrong in the sword fight. He was not blinded. His uh, the blade just went. Um, uh, I don't know. You know, past his retina, and he was. He was fine. He was just obviously not going to do it for a while. Uh, so I was cast in the role, and um, opposite uh, Angela Pleasance. And. Uh, <laughs> Um, and there was some wonderful uh, ballet dancer, uh, I can't remember her name, bless her heart, and who was a great friend of Rudolf Nureyev. She played Lady Capulet and Rudolf Nureyev came to the uh, performance and he was very, I do remember he was really rather keen on eyeing me up in my tights. <coughs> um, and uh, and no, that was great. I mean, I, I it was a, I mean, talking about terror. I mean, that was sheer, complete and utter, hundred percent terror. I had no moves. I, I was on in 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 three days. I I remember I rehearsed the sword fight, and then was just pushed on stage, and uh, people sort of, you know, I was like a pinball, you know, on a pinball machine. People would just push me in the right direction, you know, and I hadn't. There was no time to 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 rehearse the show, so uh, it was an extraordinary experience. I just went on and 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 was Romeo to Angela Pleasance's Juliet, um, and uh, wow, that was that was talking about the deep end. Um, so I played Romeo three times, and um, great role, great role. Thank you, Mr. Shakespeare. Um, I think it's a very underrated role. Um, everyone always talks about Juliet being the role in the play, and I, I, I totally disagree. I think Romeo is far surpasses, um, you know, Juliet as as a, as a as a as a challenging role to play. Um, 
Is there mileage in the theory, though, that... Because I think that's so, it's so hard, that when you're young enough to play it, you're not old enough to understand the emotion, the level of emotion required, and when you do le- understand the level of emotion required, you're too old to play it? Well, yes, I suppose there is that. Um, yes, uh, but, you know, I was very young-looking and um, very young-behaving in those days. And, uh, um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I do. I think there's a lot of value in that. Um, but, uh, I mean, he should, you know, they should be in their teens, really. Mm. Um, um, but, um, you know... Uh, who who's played it successfully? I don't know. I mean, um, Leonard Whiting and Olivia Hussey was the you know probably is the uh, you know the standard that one always goes towards. I mean, Zeffirelli's production with Michael York and uh, and uh, John McHenry mm. and uh, wow, well, Alfred Mercutio. That's a great performance. Oh, blew you away. And, and Michael York, who I saw the other day in Hollywood, you know. Uh, Stunning looking man, as I mean, it was a beautiful, beautiful, he looked stunning. Um, who knows? I mean, who knows what, what works, but um, uh, I was, I just threw myself into it and I was very gung ho and just, just went for it, you know. And I, I, I don't know, I, I think I was, I think I was pretty, pretty on, on the money for the television production with Joan Kent Welsh because she really kicked my ass. She really kicked my ass. I remember very clearly, Joan was very tough. I mean, she was, uh, she was a very tough but, but nurturing director and I just adored her because she really, really got something out of me. And uh, I remember in the uh, scene with the friar, the banishment scene where I had to sort of flood with tears and go completely nuts, um, uh, you know, I, I just went for it and, and, and just gave everything. And uh, I, there was, <laughs> up, up in those days, there was a sort of up, up in the gallery, you know, that's where all the, everyone sat, you know, the producers and, the, and everyone looking at it, you know. There would be this call on the, on, the, on the loudspeaker, Christopher, would you come up to the gallery, you know, afterwards? And um, so I thought, oh boy, what's happened? And she said, look, I have to show you something. There's a boom in the shot, you know, the, um, the sound mm. boom in the shot. We're going to have to do this again. I said, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, no way. No, I can't possibly do that again. Get down on the floor and do it again, she said. We did it another six times. Oh. <laughs> another six times you know the, the arrogance of, of youth you know oh, I can't possibly do it. I've given my I've, all I've peaked yes. I've peaked sorry that's it love that's it get down on the floor she... and um... well funny you should have mentioned an actor losing because Lawrence Payne was in that and he did lose an eye in a sword fight yes Lawrence Payne darling man well, and we, we talk about that wonderful series you did, Kelditz, on, on the DVD, but uh, again, before we started recording that, you told me, so perhaps it's worth doing it with the microphone on it, you told me about your visit, you actually went to Kelditz. I did, I did, because I was, you know, incredibly gung-ho when I got the role, and uh, I asked the BBC if I could go to visit the castle, because I, you know, a bit, a bit of method, you know, a bit of method. Um, 
you know, I thought, well, I've got to go there. And um, knowing full well that it was behind the Iron Curtain in those days, down in um, south of Leipzig and um, in Germany. And um, <clears throat> so the BBC gave me this note that I could give to the, cut, to the uh, Border Patrol uh, saying that I was on a very, you know, very um, kosher mission to, to, you know, study the castle because I was going to star in this new television series for the BBC. And, you know, as soon as they saw the BBC on the, on the, on the note that I gave them, they said, oh, no problem, go on, off you go. And um, so I went through the Iron Curtain uh, and down to Leipzig and, um, you know, took a, took a bus to uh, Colditz, and, uh, which is uh, uh, an insane asylum now and um, kind of scary, really, but very, very hugely atmospheric, as you can imagine, this big, big uh, sort of imposing castle in the middle of nowhere, and um, which was meant to be escape-proof, but uh, but but obviously wasn't. Otherwise, there wouldn't have been a series. Uh, <laughs> Just a series of disappointments. <laughs> yes, yes. And uh, I was, I was, uh, yeah. One of the, I was taken around by a very very beautiful uh, nurse who was looking after the uh, the some of the uh, the the. The patients and um, she was just delightful, gorgeous, lovely, beautiful young German girl. Um, and took me around the castle, showed me, uh, showed me everything and some of the places where the people escaped from. And um, then I went down into the village and met some, uh, met a gentleman who uh, who'd worked the searchlights uh, on the castle, and uh, he told me this incredible story. He said. Uh, Yep, we were so, so incredibly impressed by, uh, by the, some of these people who, who, who managed to get outside the building because, the castle, because it was, it, it was meant to be, you know, you weren't meant to escape. It was just, we thought we got it all sealed up. But, you know, these guys, they were ingenious. They got out somehow. So we were so impressed that we aimed our searchlights away from them we could see them getting away but we aimed our searchlights away we could have been court-martialed and shot in a second you know if they if they'd known about that but uh, but uh, but we did and so we gave them a chance to 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 escape and we were so in awe of them you know for their resourcefulness and uh, and, and that's what we did uh, no, I, 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 I had an extraordinary visit there. It was a beautiful day, I remember. A beautiful spring day. The young leaves were on the trees. It was a, it was a, it was a real kind of... Uh, it, it was extraordinary because you had this bleak castle with these people yelling out of there, of, the, of these windows, you know, this, this insanity. Uh, and this beautiful girl who was taking me around and this fabulous weather young shoots coming out of the out of the ground and this lovely green leaves it was a it's a real sort of uh, oxymoron type of uh, situation you know but uh, stayed with me that experience really stayed with me and um, no no I, I, it was an, an amazing time in my life
Well, you've been very generous with your time. I'll, I'll round up with just a couple of things. You must be the only actor that's been in Doctor Who that's also been in the A-Team, Dallas and Dynasty. Um, that's, that's quite a triumvirate of American icons. <laughs> yes, I was, I was directed by the one and only Larry Hagman. JR, um, I was directed by him. Mind you, bless his heart, he didn't do an awful lot of directing because he, he I think he trusted us, you know, he kind of trusted that we'd sort of hit our marks and, and, and do what we were there to do. He was kind of a bit, um, a bit, a bit blasé about <laughs> directing, uh, but a great character, of course. I mean, he was, he was uh, you know, I mean, he was JR, I mean, on and off the set. I mean, there was no question. And um, Dallas, yes, Dallas was lovely. And, well, that was Dallas, of course, in Thin Dynasty, yes. And uh, I did the A-Team as well with all those guys. And David Hemmings directed me in, uh, in the A-Team. And uh, Yeah, yeah. Well, so what about now? What is, how is life for Christopher Neem now? And do you have any unfulfilled ambitions, Christopher? Oh... Do I have any unfulfilled ambitions? Um, yeah, well, you know, Toby, I must be honest. Um, I've had such a... I don't want to be too Mary Poppins about this, but I, I have had such an incredible, incredibly lucky... I mean, I have some talent. Uh, just, uh, under, uh, under, I mean, I... You know that goes without saying, uh, but I've I've had so much opportunity to <clears throat> to work as an actor in this extraordinary career, and uh, I've been so blessed by the people I've met, by the experience I the experiences I've had, by the opportunities that I've had. That now I just want to give back. I I I have I do quite a bit of um, volunteer work in California and. Um, and I just feel that the world, uh, I don't want to be too melodramatic, but the world is hurting so badly at this time that I want to do what I possibly can to try to alleviate that and try to give back and try to um, do my part in, 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 in you know, trying to keep, uh, trying to keep the hurt out of people's lives, you know, and uh, I do my, I do quite a bit of, as I said, I do quite a bit of uh, stuff over there, and um, you know, when I see someone hurting, when I see, uh, you know, these people in Grenfell Tower, and um, I just want to volunteer, I just want to help, and uh, I am a fully qualified, um, licensed uh, shiatsu massage therapist, I, I trained in 99 in uh, Santa Monica, California, and uh, in, at the Dao Healing Arts Center under a grandmaster of uh, Shiatsu. And uh, I, 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 you know, hands-on healing is so important. So few people get real, you know, touch is such an extraordinary, uh, extraordinary healing uh, a, a medium. Um, and I do a lot of that and uh, I want to continue doing that. And uh, I just want to help. Uh, lift people out of uh, of the pain they're in. I feel the world's pain very deeply, and um, as I said, I just want to try to do my part in trying to uh, 
trying to soothe that if I can. Well, we do that in a small way with this podcast in that the, we ask the listener, because you have given your time for, for this part of our conversation, uh, and I don't get paid, and the listener, you have not paid for this, so therefore we ask you to donate to a charity, and it's uh, Christopher's privilege to, 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 to decide which one that is. So do you have a charity that you prefer? Oh, Toby, there's so many, there's so many, 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 many. I was deeply moved last night on television uh, watching the, uh, I think it's Doctors Without Borders, is it? Mm. It's people who are, are trying to rescue these, uh, these uh, migrants coming across from, uh, from um, wherever it is. Um, on these boats coming across from uh, Syria. Syria. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just the most desperate situation. I mean, that charity kind of sticks out now to me. I mean, if it is Doctors Without Borders, then please, that's what I'd love this, uh, this these donations to go towards. Excellent. And I will do a little link so at the, in my outro that I'll record later. Um, and the final question uh, is we uh, can be nominally to talk about Doctor Who. I'm glad we talked about so many other things. Um, and thank you so much for your time, which you've been very generous with. But what is your message to the Doctor Who fans out there for whom you have finally been able to give every last syllable of uh, Skagra? The force is with you. <laughs> what can I say? I mean, no, I, 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 I just uh, appreciate uh, everyone's support and uh, everyone's uh, loyalty to the Doctor Who franchise. And uh, I, I just hope it makes you happy because we've been uh, extremely, I think I can speak for most of the cast, we've been extremely happy uh, being a part of this, uh, this, this phenomenon. And um, a huge thank you for your dedication to us and to the series and uh, and and uh, and uh, uh, thank you. Well, Christopher Lee, I've had a wonderful morning, so I would like to say thanks to you. Oh, thanks bless you! Much. Thank you very much. It's been a great pleasure, Toby. That was superb. Thank you. Thank you. So generous with your time. My thanks to Christopher, uh, who sort of, we fitted that in between uh, both he and I working on the Sharda DVD, um, and we were sort of allowed to by um, Charles Norton, who produced the Sharda DVD, because of course they flew Christopher over and he was sort of on their dollar really, but um, but Charles very kindly said, well, if, uh, if we did a bit for the commentary I could then do a, a bit for the uh, for who's round if Christopher was willing and he was so that's why certain things that Christopher should have talked about in a who's round such as uh, uh, his hammer work and um, uh, cold it and uh, secret army and things like that he discusses oh and the fact that he is the first full frontal male nude on British television all of that is in the DVD commentary for Sharda which you'll have to buy uh, and it's worth it because uh, it's a labour of love and I think it's great um, and uh, so there's more from Christopher uh, from that session you've just heard on that because 
that's sort of what enabled it to happen. But uh, I'm happy we were able to uh, to give him a solar who's round as well and get a bit more out of him, which was lovely. And uh, so that meant he, he essentially gave two sessions uh, in, in one go. So he was very patient, very giving, and I'm very grateful to him. I hope you are too, uh, so much so that you will donate to his charity, which is Médecins Sans Frontières, uh, which is uh, www.msf.org. That's Médecins Sans Frontières International, www.msf.org. Uh, who's round will be back at the same time uh, next week. Thanks for listening, and until then, goodbye. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who Short Trips, the authentic experience. Perry's heels clanked along the gunmetal balcony on which the TARDIS had materialised and she stopped to look down at the concourse of the spaceport below. Hordes of commuters swarmed from one transmat station to the other, some breaking away from the crowd and dashing in neurotic shoals, others trudging with a more unenthused, fatalistic air. Vast and bustling, it reminded her of being back in New York, of Grand Central Station at rush hour, but with significantly less grandeur. The overall tone of the place was grey. Grey suits and grey faces, grey directions in grey writing on grey signs, all illuminated by a filtered light that managed to be grey in its partiality. In their bright colours, she and the Doctor seemed rather overdressed. But of course, that was nothing new for the Doctor. This doesn't look like a very happy place, Doctor, she observed. Functional, I agree. This planet's a business and trading hub for this part of the galaxy. Sometime rather far in your race's future. Most actual commerce and finance is managed by computers in this period. Then where are all these guys going in such a rush? Oh, your species does still like to seal the deal face to face when they can, despite telecommunications. Or face to prehensile eye stalk, depending on the clientele. Big finish. We love stories.